Turn, if you would, tonight to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14 is where we're going to be this evening. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to be back tonight. God, I pray that you would use this time to be a help to each of us. God, I pray that this would be something that would stick with us, and Lord, that we would use this in the days to come. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned this morning how it is easy to forget what we hear uh, time after time after time, and so as I was looking over my notes for tonight, I was noticing that I put in my notes once more that we need the reminder. And we do need the reminder over and over again of simple, basic truths. And so this evening, I want to start with a question that, as I've said before, I think I know what the answer will be, but I'm going to ask this anyway. The question I'd like for you to consider tonight is this, is how many of us have ever been embarrassed, laughed at, or humiliated? Has it ever happened to us? I think it's happened to all of us at least once, and I think sometimes that has happened, or there have been times where that has happened, because someone has gone out of their way to do that to us. Yesterday, I was at my brother's house, and I was working on something, or I was about to be working on something. I'd, I'd done some work uh, prior to, to yesterday at his place, trying to be a help to him. And in the time from my last visit to yesterday, he had installed some light fixtures. And I wasn't ready for them. And they were low-hanging light fixtures. So I hit my head on it pretty quick because I was used to just going through this area and not even thinking about it. So I did it. I hit it pretty solid. Well, my uncle came by, and my uncle all of my life has just enjoyed making fun of me. That, that's, I think he just he likes it. Whenever we get together, that's what he wants to do. And so yesterday he stopped by the house where we were working, and he said, has Kyle run into the light yet? I said, actually, I have. And he said, well, stupid, pay attention. <laughs> Well-deserved, I understand, but nonetheless, he has always enjoyed giving me a hard time. So sometimes that embarrassment, that humiliation, people laughing at you, it's been brought about because someone else is trying to do that to you. But sometimes I think we would have to admit that the laughter that's been created or the embarrassment or the humiliation that's been brought upon us is because of our own fault. It's not because somebody else is looking to do that to us. It's not because someone is getting some kind of a, a thrill in doing that. No, we did it, and we're responsible for it, and there's nobody that we can blame for what's happened. And I don't know about you, but for myself, when that has happened, when that has taken place, that's kind of like the worst kind of embarrassment you can experience. Would you agree? When you're responsible for all of it because of your poor decisions or because of your goofy actions, 
whatever it may be, that's kind of the worst embarrassment or humiliation, in my opinion, that I, that I can experience. And, and so maybe it's because of self-pride. I don't know what it is completely that motivates it. But I work hard to try to not have very many of those moments. I don't want to embarrass and humiliate myself. So tonight, with that as the backdrop, with that as kind of the back thought, I want us to begin looking in Luke chapter 14, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 25. And I'm amazed over and over again as we have gone through these studies or through these sermons of the words of Christ, I'm amazed at how many times Christ has done what would be unthinkable in the church culture today. The reason I say that is because in verse number 25, it says this, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, So here is Christ. He is a religious leader, obviously, for lack of better words. But he has, it says in verse number 25, this great multitude that is with him. So that indicates there are a lot of people who are following him in this moment. Are there not? Now, I'm just telling you, you know this, but I'm just saying it once more for the sake of transparency, that most leaders enjoy followers. Because without followers, you're not much of a leader. Okay, so most leaders, they enjoy having followers, and most leaders feel better about themselves based on the number of followers they have. So most leaders are not going to try to do things to discourage his followers from following him or them. Right? I mean, if you look at someone who's got a lot of influence, if you've got someone who has a lot of people following them and listening to them and trying to emulate them, they're not usually going to see how many people they can run off. And yet over and over and over, here is what we see of Christ. Him trying to get rid of people, for lack of better words. He's trying to show them, hey, listen, this is not some casual fellowship that I want from people. You either need to be in or you need to be out, but there's really not much room for any middle ground in this relationship. So Christ says in verse number 26, as he turned, it says, and said unto them, or began speaking to them, he said, if any man come to me and hate not his father, and his mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now again, I'm just telling you, that kind of begins the weeding out process, does it not? You've got all these people who are following Christ. We don't know what the number would be, but a great multitude is how they are described. And Christ, rather than looking at his disciples saying, hey, we got quite the following here, don't we? No, rather than doing that, he turns around and he says, I just want to share something with you all. Those who are with me on this day, if any man comes to me and hates not his father, his mother, wife, children, brethren, sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be 
my disciple. So we have the word in verse number 26, hate, being used. I think many of us would say this, that that is a relatively strong word for our vocabulary as Christians. I I think a lot of us would try to avoid using the word hate unless it was a very serious situation we found ourselves in because there's just something about that word that, that, that is strong in nature, is it not? Okay, so this word hate, what does it mean? Well, I just want us to think about this. Again, a reminder, it just means to detest something or to dislike something with intensity. All right, so it means to detest something, to dislike something with intensity, to dislike it passionately or with extreme hostility. So that is a very descriptive word, this word hate. So Christ said in verse number 26, if you're going to come after me, if you're going to follow me, but you do not hate these people, then you cannot be my disciple. As we think about that, I want us to consider just a few truths about this verse that first of all, thankfully, by the grace of God, Not every relationship requires hate in order for us to be the disciple of Christ. If you're not sure what I mean by that, I'll just explain it very quickly. Christ spoke of the father and the mother specifically, did he not? Okay. As he spoke of them specifically, I thought of my own situation. I thought of my own background. As I mentioned this morning in the service, I was raised in church from the time I was born. It was always a part of who we were. It was what is expected of us as we were growing up and maturing. And to this day, my dad and my mom are still supportive and encouraging of me in the ministry and the position that I am in. And if I were to deviate from this, if I were to decide this is not what I want for my life following Christ, etc., my parents would be devastated. All right? They would be devastated. The same would be true of Susie and her family. And most people in my family, they would be supportive of what I do and how I live and, and the direction I'm taking. And so we understand this, that just because we follow Christ does not mean that we then have to hate everyone in our lives. Okay, I'm trying to get us to see this because it's amazing sometimes how weird people can make the Scripture apply to situations. You you ask yourself, how did you come up with that? So I want us to understand that I don't have to hate people and you don't have to hate people in order to follow Christ. In fact, I think here is what most people would say who follow Christ, that it is the exact opposite of hate that we have for those who may not support us in our walk with the Lord and the things of God. I mean, if you think about this, it was Christ who made it fairly clear that we could not be right with God and hate someone else. Okay, so... Uh, You and I, those of us who are following Christ, here's what we would say. We would say we don't hate them at all. We don't detest them. We don't despise them. We, We don't detest them with this fervency and this passion and this intensity. And so, again, it would be just the opposite. We love them. We care about them. We want what's best for them. We want them to know what we know. 
And so again, for us sometimes, it can be hard to reconcile what Christ has said. So let me ask you if this has ever happened to you and if this makes sense, okay? Just see if this makes sense. Have you ever noticed that sometimes the unbeliever, the one who doesn't want to serve God, sometimes they are more than happy to try to put words into your mouth and express your thoughts and feelings on your behalf? Now, just see if this makes sense. I'm not saying that this would be true across the board, but have you ever heard some people say things like this? Oh, yeah, because we don't go to church, they hate us. Have you ever heard anything like that? What are they doing? They're trying to put words into your mouth or my mouth, and and they're trying to express your feelings as they perceive them to be. They may say something like this, yeah, because we don't go to church or because we won't do this or because we allow our kids to do this. Whatever it is, oh, yeah, they hate us. They don't have any use for us. They can't stand us. They don't like us. And that's not true at all. But here is how it is perceived sometimes that because a person will not bend, because a person will not compromise for those who are not supportive of our lifestyle and the choices we've made and the direction we're taken or we've taken, there are those who then want to perceive it as a level of hatred or detest or, or disgust toward them. So they're the ones who want to make it personal. Now, here's what I'd like us to see. And again, I know you know this, you're familiar with this, you're aware of it. But here's what I want us to see. Christ is not saying we have to hate them. And Christ is not saying that we have to detest them. But here's what seems to be the the obvious implication. And that would be this, is if you have to choose between God and if you have to choose between him and family of, of whomever it may be, The choice better always be God. The choice better always be obedience to him, no matter the consequence, no matter how it might be perceived, no matter how people might feel about it. It better be God who has been chosen every time. That's just the way it has to be if you're going to be a disciple of Christ. You have to love him so much more than anyone else in the world. We have to love him so much more, even more than ourselves, if we are going to be his disciple. So if that is so, or with that in mind, I want us to think about this again, because this is very important in my opinion He said that if you do not hate them, or if you are not willing to to serve me more than him, he said, you cannot be my disciple, but he did not say you cannot be saved. What is a disciple? A disciple is a student. A disciple is a pupil. A disciple is a follower. A disciple is a learner, okay? It is the disciple who says, this is my master and this is the one that I am going to follow and this is the one, again, that I'm going to emulate and imitate in my life. Now, I I want us to see this. I want us to think about it because I, I just, I can't help but say it again. I think this is important Because here is what happens so many times. We see this happen often. 
that there are people who identify themselves as believers, but they will always allow themselves to be influenced by people in their lives. They are a believer and, and they are saved, but yet if daddy and mommy don't approve of what they're doing on that particular day, they'll be sure and make daddy and mommy happy over doing what God would have them to do. It's not that they're not saved. It's not that they're not a believer. It's not that they're not a child of God. But if family begins to put pressure on them, if family begins to, to try to, to make them feel silly for doing what it is they are doing, here's what they'll do. They'll buckle almost every time under the pressure, and they'll do what it takes to keep the family happy as opposed to just doing what God or Christ has said. Now here is what Christ says to the great multitude that day is, listen, if you're not willing to love me more than them, if you're not willing to hate them in comparison to how you love me, then you will never be my disciple. You just will not be my disciple. We might put it this way, you and I can never be what we're supposed to be in our walk with the Lord if we're going to let other people dictate how we live. Amen. You and I will never be in our relationship with God what we're supposed to be if everyone else has more influence on how we live than him. And you know this as well as I do, that is a problem plaguing our churches today. We don't want to offend anybody but God, and that is the exact opposite of how it's supposed to be. Follow God, and if everyone else gets mad, angry, offended, upset, so be it. If I'm going to be his disciple, I must love him to the point that it would look like hate to an unbelieving or an immature world because I won't follow them and their demands for me. Christ said again in verse number 33, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. So what is Christ saying? He's just saying this. Listen, it's not about you. It's not about your wants. It's not about the wants of everyone else for your life and what they want you to do and their desires for you. No, the only way that you can be my disciple is if I am number one in your life. But past that, we notice in verse number 27 that Christ said this. He said, and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple or cannot be my disciple. What does it mean whenever Christ mentioned the cross to the great multitude that day? It just mentions or it just means this, that there are going to be burdens and trials in this life that you have to be willing to bear in order to be a disciple. The Christian life is not always easy. The Christian life is not always going to be downhill with the wind at your back. 
Sometimes it's going to be difficult. Sometimes it's going to be challenging. Sometimes it's going to be intense. Sometimes it's going to to be hard. We know this, and yet what Christ was reminding them of that day is this, is if you are not willing to bear the cross that you've been given, you cannot be my disciple. Now, we know why that's important, right? Because anyone can serve him when it's easy. Anyone can serve the Lord when things are going their way. Anyone can serve the Lord when when all the circumstances are favorable for them. But it takes a true disciple to continue serving the Lord when the cross is heavy, when the weight is heavy, when the burden is severe. And if we're not willing to stick with it, we cannot, Christ said, be his disciple. How many people do we know? How many stories have we heard of people who have quit because it got hard and yet they want to claim they're still a disciple of Christ? They may be saved. They may be a child of God and heaven may be their home one day, but they are not a disciple if they're not willing to bear the cross. Whatever that means, whatever it looks like, if they're not willing to do so, they're not a disciple. So Christ, looking to this great multitude, spoke these words, etc. He said all these things to them, again, trying to weed out the crowd, so to speak. But if we look in verse number 28, we know that Christ continued speaking. And I think we would all agree with this, that Christ did not just ramble because he lost his train of thought and couldn't remember what he was trying to communicate. I'm just going to say this real quick. Sometimes if you've ever been involved in public speaking, you've got a point in mind and then all of a sudden you've got this little thing that happens in your brain and you lose your train of thought and you just keep talking until maybe you eventually come back on point, you pray. Sometimes it's a little more obvious than not, but I promise you, if you've ever done public speaking, it happens to you. Okay, that didn't happen to Christ. Christ wasn't in the middle of this great multitude, and then he sees a bird fly by, and him go, oh, oh, I'm sorry, guys, i got to get back on track. That's not what Christ did. So why do I say that? I say that for this reason. Verses 28 down through verse 32, it's not just Christ rambling for a couple of moments, chasing a rabbit trail, and then he comes back to verse 33 and says, Oh yeah, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. So notice in verse number 28, Notice in verse number 28 what Christ said. He said, For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost whether he have sufficient to finish it? He said, I want you to consider something, people. He said, If you were to to think about building this tower, he said, Would you not first sit down and count the cost to see whether or not you had enough money to finish it? 
Well, see, back in their day, that would have made complete sense, right? Not everybody lived on credit. Not everyone lived on, on, on borrowed money and things of that nature. Not everyone had a cash advance that they could use from their bank, okay? So, so in their day, that statement made complete sense. Yes, if I were going to build a tower, I would sit down, I would try to calculate and estimate the cost to make sure that I had enough to finish it. And he said, here's why you do this. He said in verse number 29, lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. You know what Christ said in verse number 28 down through verse number 30? He said this, when somebody starts something that they can't finish, it causes people to mock that person. What does it mean to mock someone? It means to laugh at them, to kind of poke at them, to have some fun at their expense. We following this? Christ said, here's what you do when you're building a tower. You figure out what this is going to cost you, and if you're not able to pay or you're not willing to pay the price, you don't begin the process because you don't want to get started and people then mock you and laugh at you and scorn you. Now again, these are not wasted words. These are not the ramblings of Jesus Christ. He is trying to make a point to those he is trying to weed out. And he is saying, before you get started in this journey of trying to follow me and being my disciple, you need to know what it's really going to cost. Because if you can't finish, if you can't go all the way, if you can't endure, and if you can't carry the cross, here is what's going to happen People are going to mock you and laugh at you and scorn you, and they'll have some fun at your expense. Can I ask us if that's true? Well, we know it's true, but just think about it. It's not just true because Christ said it, though that's all the evidence we would need for it to be true, but we also know it to be true because we have seen this so many times. How many of us have ever seen people and they are just going gangbusters for the Lord? They are excited, they are passionate, they are zealous, they are, they are on top of the world in their walk with the Lord, and they're going to do this, 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 and then all of a sudden what happens? The Christian life begins to get difficult. It begins to be a challenge. It begins to be hard. And not everyone is their cheerleader. And not everyone is wishing the best for them. And now there are people pulling them this way. And other people pulling them from this direction. And and here's what's happened. We've seen this so many times. The one who was once so passionate is now no longer even serving the Lord. And what are they? They are the laughingstock of everyone They used to preach to and try to convince how right they were and wrong they were. Isn't it true the amount of ridicule that people bring on themselves because they don't finish the Christian life like they started? 
Christ was absolutely speaking the truth that if you don't finish this, people will mock you. They will laugh at you. They'll have a good time at your expense. And then he said in verse number 31, he said, Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. What is he saying? He is saying this, any king with a brain would do this. If he is about to go into battle, if he is going to go into some kind of conflict, he's only got 10,000 going up against 20,000. He is going to sit down before the conflict begins and he's going to ask himself, do we stand a chance at victory? And if not, here's what Christ said he does. He said, or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. What was Christ saying? He was saying this, if the king realizes he doesn't have a chance to win this battle, he is going to seek some kind of peace. Why? I think for two reasons. Losing is embarrassing. (laughs) For most of us, losing is embarrassing. I guess some grow accustomed to it and it doesn't bother them anymore. But, But losing is embarrassing. And in their day, if you go back and you read the Old Testament, they were still close enough to this that they understood how things worked, that when one king defeated another king, oftentimes the defeated king, if not killed in battle, was humiliated in front of the people who captured him. I mean, if you think about Saul, that was one of the last things he wanted, was it not? He did not want to be humiliated. He did not want to be hurt. He did not want to to fall into the hands of the enemy. I mean, a king just did not want to find himself in that position for this reason. It was humiliating. It was an embarrassing spot to find yourself in. Now, again, what is Christ saying? He's just saying this, listen, As a king would sit down and do everything he could to avoid humiliation, that really ought to be some concern of the ones who decide to follow Christ. Follow through with this all the way so as to avoid humiliation. If you don't follow through, if you don't follow me, if you're not willing to forsake all, if you're not willing to love me more than everyone else, and if you're not willing to bear your cross, then you're going to be mocked, you're going to be laughed at, and you will be humiliated and disgraced. And again, we know that to be true. We've seen it happen so many times. Now, I say all that to try to bring us to this point, and again, I know this is just a reminder. I don't want to just be a saved person. I want to be a follower of Christ. I don't want anyone here tonight to just be a saved person. I want every one of us to be a follower of Christ. I don't want to be mocked by the world. 
That's just not something I'm interested in right now. I've got other things that I would rather accomplish in life than to be mocked by the world. And I don't want to be publicly humiliated by this world. And I don't want that for you. Again, I want every one of us to be true disciples, not just saved people who, who barely live a Christian life to some extent. So if we want to be disciples and if we want to be what we're supposed to be, avoiding the mocking, avoiding the humiliation, what do we have to do? We have to choose over and over and over again that I will love God more than I love anyone else in this world. Before I let anyone or anything else influence my life, influence my decisions, influence my direction, God will be consulted first, and I will do what God says, no matter how it may affect other people in my life. If I truly want to be a disciple and avoid the mocking and avoiding the humiliation, if that is what I truly want more than anything else, the rest of the world can have no influence on me no matter who they are. And I have to be willing to carry my cross no matter how difficult it becomes. It doesn't matter what the obstacle is. It doesn't matter what the challenge is. It doesn't matter what the difficulties are. If I want to be a disciple, I have to be willing to bear the cross, and I have to be willing to bear it all the way through to the end. I think far too many people sitting in churches today They've not sat down and counted the cost. They've not looked ahead and said, okay, what is this going to really cost me? And so when push comes to shove, they're not ready. When life gets hard, they're not committed. And it has led to so much rebuke on the name of Christ and the cause of Christ. I don't want it for me. I don't want it for you. So I'll say it one more time. We must be faithful and devoted and loyal to him more than anyone else in this life. And we have to be willing to endure no matter how difficult it is. Does that weed out a whole lot of people in all reality? It certainly does. But it has to be done. It needs to be done so that you can tell who is real and sincere and genuine from those who are just kind of following the popular fad for the moment. I hope we consider this. I, I hope it's a help, the reminder that we've been given. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. I pray that you would bless this message. I know... I know, Lord, that we know this. I know that these are truths we have heard many times in our lives, but it's just good to be reminded 
that if we don't want to be mocked, if we don't want to be ridiculed, if we don't want to be humiliated, we've got to love you more than anything else, and we've got to be faithful no matter how hard it gets. I pray that you'd help us tonight to recommit to that truth once more. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.